All right, so we're in the book of Philippians tonight, taking a short series in the book of Philippians. And uh, uh, we're going to be in uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 26 tonight. Chapter 1, 12 through 26. In the study, we're calling Victorious in Christ, as we look at the Apostle Paul's example and, and, what, we, and what we can learn from him. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so Paul's a good example because he followed the example of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I just pray that your word would um, speak to us tonight. Lord, that more than anything, Lord, that we would just come to the, Lord, to the reality of your word, Lord, and just how good it is and how awesome it is to, to be able to sit and study it verse by verse and to enjoy it, Lord, to have it instilled in our heart, Lord, that we might not sin against you, that we can grow as his branches, Lord, which abide in the vine. And so, Lord, we pray that you continue your good work in us, Lord, and, and Lord, we know that you want to work through us. And so, Lord, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you had to take an honest assessment of your Christian life, would you consider it victorious? Well, believe it or not, the Bible says that life in Christ can and should be victorious. It should be a victorious life. Listen to what 1 John 5, 4 through 5 says. John says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so through our faith in Jesus Christ, God has given us victory over this world. He's given us victory over sin. He's given us victory over Satan. Now, the fact that God has given us victory doesn't mean that life is without problems. It doesn't mean that life will be problem-free and everything will be smooth. But rather, the victorious Christian life is that God wants to bear fruit in our life despite the fact that we'll experience problems, such as trials, temptations, spiritual warfare, and suffering. You see, God has given us the power of his Holy Spirit to be able to abide in Christ to be able to walk with him, and that through these times, God wants to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And we all know what the fruit of the Spirit is, right? The kids sing it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that God wants to bring forth from our life. And often, you know, we think, okay, well, if I'm going to be victorious, well, then everything has to go smooth, because as soon as I get hit, well, then I'm done. But the Lord says, no, quite the contrary. He's given us power to walk. And despite the enemy throwing these curveballs at us, we can abide in Christ and, and still be victorious. And how is this possible? Is there a 10-step program to success? Well, no, it's actually really simple. We've already mentioned it. You're in Christ. And as I said last week, this is really, I believe, the theme of this book, the fact that he's writing to saints in Christ. Yes, joy is mentioned many times in this book, but the name Christ is mentioned more. And the reason why these believers could have joy is because they were in Christ. The fact that they could be a witness is because they were in Christ. In the same way, God wants to work in your life because you're in Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you've asked Christ into your life, God has begun a work. He wants to continue that work, and he wants to do an amazing work, an abundant work of pouring out his spirit upon your life. Now, the apostles and believers of the New Testament were great examples of how God worked these truths out practically. We have kind of a, an illustration. You know, the internet is a very wicked and evil thing. I mean, there's a lot of evil on the internet. 
But if you think about also then, the internet has some crazy, amazing stuff. We have a journeyman mechanic at work who learned how to work on pumps by watching YouTube videos. I mean, you can find anything you want. I mean, you want to bake a cake, you, you know, you'll find it and figure out how to do it. I mean, there's an abundance of examples that you can find. I mean, you know, well, the Bible is the same way for the Christian. But it's even better because it's not wicked, it's truth, right? It's holy. But man, we can look at the Bible and we can see all of these things that God has taught us. We can see it lived out through the Old Testament examples, but also through the lives of the New Testament believers. And the New Testament shows us that these believers were not superheroes. You know, they weren't guys that people made up. They were real people just like us. And they had real problems and they experienced real tribulations. Oftentimes people say, hey man, we should go back to the first early church. Well, the early church had a lot of problems too. You know, and so, but yet God was able to bring them through it and teach them to live victoriously. I build that up to say the Apostle Paul was probably one of the greatest examples. He's the author of this epistle. Listen to what Paul wrote about his own life in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. He mentions a couple things of what he experienced. He said, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not the other stone, but stoned with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren in weariness and toil and sleepiness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. And so Paul's life was not problem-free. As he walked with Christ, he experienced some pretty tough things. But yet, I think you would agree with me that Paul was a person who had victory in Christ. Now, when you, think, you know, when you think things could not get any worse, we move on to chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. And then we learn because of these revelations that the Lord gave Paul, because of his teachings, there was actually a messenger of Satan given to buffet him. Some believe it could have been a terrible eye disease that Paul struggled with. And we're told that Paul prayed three times that the Lord would take this away. And the Lord answered Paul's prayer, but not how we expect. Jesus told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And so the Lord came to Paul and said, Paul, I'm not gonna heal you of this, but rather I'm gonna give you strength and victory even in your weakness. I'm gonna give you joy. I'm gonna give you strength. I'm gonna bring forth the fruit of your spirit, the fruit of my, my spirit, even in this troublesome time. It's, it's the life of victory. I like Paul's response to this, and it, it's building up to Paul's example in our passage. Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches and needs, in persecutions and distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, the Lord had a power and a plan for Paul that he would be victorious, even in despite these hard times, but yet it took a biblical mindset for Paul to remain in that place in which God can continue to work victoriously through his life. Paul had to come to reality, hey, I'm gonna set my mind upon Christ and his work because it is in those things I know that God will bring forth victory for my life. And so this is what Paul shows us really in our passage. 
Paul shows us that even despite his hard time mentioned in Philippians, he was able to have joy because of his mindset. And the same thing is true for you and I. The Lord has given us victory. He wants us to walk in victory. But life is not you know, gonna be without problems. We're gonna face these things. But if we're to remain joyful, if we're to remain victorious, then we need to keep a biblical mindset in these things as Paul did and as the first century's believers. So as we work through these texts, we'll learn a couple of examples from Paul how we can keep this biblical mindset and not let the enemy rob us of our joy and our victory. So the first example we learn is in verses 12 through 14, we see that Paul knew that God was able to work all things together for good. Paul said, but I want you to know, brethren, that the many things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. You see, the Philippians got word that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and that he was eventually sent to Rome to stand before Caesar. And the natural response, as any natural response, would be that you know, they were bummed out. They are like, oh man, it's kind of a bummer. I mean, think about what God was doing in the life of Paul. I mean, he was going around planting all these churches and then, I mean, our natural response is, well, Paul's ministry is kind of hindered now. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of a wet towel put over a fire. But Paul wrote to these believers and encouraged them that God was still working despite his circumstances. You see, just like the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, Satan meant it for evil, but God was using these things for good and his glory. Think about what God was doing in the life of Paul. You can see it in Acts 22 through 28. Paul got to share his testimony and preach to many that he wasn't able to do that before. Paul stood before the Jewish Sanhedrin and preached to them and shared his testimony. Paul stood before Roman government officials such as Felix, Festus, Agrippa. And finally, he was able to testify in the court of Caesar. And then not only that, but on his way to Rome, he was shipwrecked. He got stranded on this island of Malta, and while he was there, he got bit by a poisonous snake, and the Lord spared him, and everybody thought he was a god. They're like, whoa, they were freaking out by it. So the Lord was able to bring testimony to them. But then while he was there, the Lord used him to heal this guy and bring a great revival throughout the island of Malta. It's not just, oh, it just so happened. It was like, you know, God was working through these things. Finally, Paul made it to Rome after some amount of time. And Acts 28, 16 through 30 says that Paul spent two years in Rome in a, in a rented house, in, which was guarded by Roman soldiers. And so Paul was the first Christian on house arrest. And it was, a, it, was a, it was house arrest for a good reason. He didn't have ankle bracelet or anything like that. But he had a Roman soldier, some believe, tied to his wrist, chained up to him. That was the ancient technology you know, <laughs> of the day. But Paul spent two years there in this rented house. And while he was on house arrest, Paul was able to preach and teach to many. He had the Jewish leaders come to him and he taught and preached to them. He had Roman soldiers with him all the time, preaching and teaching them. He had different countless officials and believers come to him. And while he was there, he also wrote epistles. He wrote Philippians, Ephesians, and Colossians, the prison epistles. And so Paul was able to have time to be able to write these things. And so God was working through these situations and, and, and through these circumstances. And so God was able to use Paul's situation to further the gospel in areas where it would not have gone before. So what about my life? What about your life? Sometimes it seems, oh man, this situation's bad. Well, you know, because of this, I can't live victorially. And the Lord says, well, no, quite the contrary. I wanna use your situation as a platform in which I can get the gospel into places where 
you know, it cannot have gone before. Maybe you don't like your job, you wanna leave it. Well, maybe the Lord has used that as a platform, you know, for you to, to make disciples, as we learned in that video, to bring forth the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And so besides being able to preach Christ, Paul's chains made him the focus of many in Rome. You see, they say, you know, they heard there, here's this guy, Paul, he's on house arrest over here, but what is he on house arrest for? They watched his life, they studied his life, they no doubt heard him teach, and they came to the conclusion, this guy's not a criminal. He hasn't done anything wrong, but the only reason why he's here is because he's living for Christ, because he's preaching the gospel, and this made him really the focus and, the, and gave him the opportunity to be a testimony for Jesus Christ before all of them. Paul was able to stand before countless Roman soldiers, and as I said, some believe that Paul was actually chained to these soldiers, and they would actually be changed out every couple hours. And so as these believers came to Paul's house, no doubt as they did in the Philippian jail, they sang songs to the Lord, they worshiped, had a little worship service in there, right? Paul was able to teach the word, and here's these Roman soldiers, you know, they were there whether they were chained up to Paul or standing in front of the house, but they heard these things. And so God was just using these things the whole time to be a witness to them. And so in the same way, God at times will allow us to be in certain places, in certain situations, in order for us to be a witness, in order for us to be a light. Verse 14, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so not only were unbelievers watching Paul, but the believers were watching Paul. Many heard about Paul's boldness and the fact that he was following God's will in, you know, in order to preach the gospel, and yet because of this, he was chained up. And they saw this, and they were stirred up by it. They said, hey, man, Paul's doing it. Let's follow his example. He was like the William Wallace when it came to preaching the gospel. You know, it's like, I want to follow him in battle kind of thing. It's like, you know, he just, you know, they saw Paul, and they said, hey, let's go out and preach the gospel too, like Paul. Let's, you know, let's follow his example. And so, once again, God is able to work all these things together for good to those who love God and are called according to the purpose. And so we can be encouraged by that as we face difficult situations and times in our life. We can keep that mindset and say, hey, I might not understand what God's gonna do. I might not even see what God's gonna do until I get to heaven. But I do know that the word promises me that he will work all things together for good. So I'm just gonna trust the Lord and walk by faith in those things. Second, in verses 16 through 18, we learn how to relate to difficult believers. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from, or even preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. It's been said, to reign with Christ in heaven will be glory, but to dwell on earth with some saints, well, that's a different story, right? Now, I'm not talking about anybody here, of course, but you know, even the great apostle Paul had to deal in love Difficult believers. Now, verse 14 says that most of the believers were stirred up to follow Paul's example and preach the gospel for the Lord's glory, but some, the others, were even stirred up to preach for wrong reasons because Paul was in chains. These believers were seeking to go out and preach out of envy and strife and selfish ambition. They were jealous of Paul, and they wanted to get converts to themselves in order to add infliction to Paul. They wanted to make Paul jealous. And Paul knew that. Now, it's important to know in talking about these guys that they're not members of a cult or anything like that. 
Paul did talk about people in the book of Galatians who preached a different gospel or a different Jesus. And these guys weren't preaching a different Jesus or a different gospel. You know, they were preaching Jesus, but they were preaching it from an impure motive. They weren't preaching for the right reason. They were seeking to gain followers after themselves. Now, Paul says in verse 17, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Others who love Paul and who followed Paul's examples were encouraged to defend the gospel. They knew that Paul was there for the defense of the faith. And actually, the word defend is the word apologetics. It means to defend the faith. And they knew that Paul was there to stand for the gospel, to, to live it out and to preach it. And they followed his example. They preached out of love and they you know, desired to see the lost um, come to the Lord, not to make Paul jealous, but just because they were lost. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, will rejoice. And so Paul's conclusion was whatever the case may be, as long as Christ is preached and people get saved, I'm gonna rejoice. Rather than allowing himself to get caught up in these people's problems or even focusing on them and their hurtful motives, Paul was gonna look past them to Jesus and to the gospel. Now, we all might encounter a difficult believer at time. And sadly, you know, it's, it's a reality. And rather than focus on them or why people do certain things, we just need to focus on Jesus and focus on the loss, the fact that people need to get saved. The church is not perfect. We're all sinners saved by grace, right? We're all works in progress. And so rather than focusing on that and let ourselves you know, be hindered you know, in our joy or maybe even allow bitterness to come into our heart, we just need to look past that to Jesus and, and continue to walk with him and, and focus on the loss. And that's the way really we can have victory. You know, we won't let the enemy steal our joy or, or rob our joy. And as we do that, and then we allow the Lord to deal with that person because the Lord will deal with that person. That's what Paul says in the, in the book of Corinthians, right? Uh, not two Corinthians, but in, in first Corinthians. He, you know, he says, who, who are you to judge another man's servant? Uh, to his own master, he stands or fall, and I'm able to make him stand. Or maybe I was in the book of Romans. But it's it one of those two where, where he's talking about liberty. But, and so Paul's like, hey, listen, that person, you know, they're the Lord's servant. But, you know, let the Lord deal with that person. You just need to look to me and look to the gospel. And as you do, you'll continue to have joy and peace and remain victorious. Third, in verses 19 to 20, Paul knew the power of prayer and of God's spirit. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul was a great theologian. I mean, he was probably one of the greatest theologians who ever lived. And notice this, Paul believed that God was gonna deliver him from his custody in Rome through the prayer of these believers. Very simple. Paul believed that God was gonna work through their prayer to deliver him from prison. And you know what? The New Testament teaches this very clearly, that God works through believers' prayer. Is God sovereign? Yes. But has God in his sovereign will chose to work through believers' prayer? Yes. And we're given multiple encouragements in the Bible to pray and for many different reasons. God tells us that we're to pray for boldness to preach the gospel as we learn in Acts 4. There, the church, they met, they were persecuted, and they prayed that the Lord would fill them with boldness to preach the gospel. And the Lord filled them with his spirit. He answered their prayer, and they were stirred up. The house was shaken, and they went out 
and preach with boldness. We're to continue to pray for the filling of the Spirit. You know, when we ask Christ to be baptized with the Spirit, we have that empowering. The Lord will give us that. But we're to go on seeking to be filled, to be overflow with the Spirit. And that's something we're to continue to ask for. And, you know, we're commanded to do it. Go on being filled. And so we're to go on being filled by seeking and asking and knocking. And the Lord says, if you seek, you know, you'll find I will fill you with my Spirit. Paul also encouraged believers to pray for an open door to preach the gospel in Colossians chapter four. Paul said, hey guys, pray for me that an open door would, would go before me to preach the gospel. You know, does God have a purpose and a plan in how he's gonna reach people? Yes. But does God tell us to pray for that open door? Yes. And so, yes, I mean, pray for your loved ones. Pray for those who are unbelievers because, you know, God will open up a door. We, we need to trust the Lord that he can do that. Paul prayed for his deliverance. And you know, we see that here. And also we're told to pray for the sick in James 5, to call for the elders of the church and anoint with oil and, and pray for the healing of the sick. Now, does God answer prayer? Yes. Does God always answer prayer? Well, yes. Now, before you stone me to be a heretic, you need to know that sometimes God will answer your prayer, but he'll say no, <laughs> or he'll say wait. You know, so God always has an answer for your prayer. It might be yes, it might be no, or it might be wait. Paul, you know, was told no by the Lord. It wasn't because he didn't have enough faith. Paul had faith. I mean, he was living victoriously in Christ, but the Lord had something greater for Paul to be able to suffer through it, and we're talking about it tonight. I mean, think about how the countless people who've been touched by Paul's example, the fact that God was able to give Paul grace through his suffering. Sometimes the Lord says, wait, and the Lord wants us to teach us to be like that farmer, as James says, patient endurance, waiting for the harvest, waiting for the Lord to do something, standing still and seeing the salvation of the Lord. Whatever the case may be, Jesus encouraged us to be persistent in our prayer because we have a loving Father in heaven. You know, so the Lord tells us, hey, keep on seeking, keep on asking. Now, that doesn't mean that we, you know, we, we need to pray these different prayers repetitively, mindless prayers, as the Lord talked about, and what we call the Lord's Prayer, where he says, you know, these people who pray many words thinking that they'll be heard, that's not what, what the Bible talks about, persistent prayer at all. Persistent prayer is to earnestly seek God in persistent prayer. And if, and if it's a burden of yours, it will be persistent. And the Lord encourages us to do so. Paul also believed that through these prayer, God would provide him grace and power, the specific power he needed to run his race and to continue his ministry. We see that in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And so God through his spirit would give Paul the power and grace through his spirit to preach the gospel and glorify Christ, regardless of what would come. And so God has given us the resources to glorify him. God has given us the resources to magnify him whether it be by life or by death. Now, sometimes people think, there's no way I can ever die for Christ. Well, obviously not. I mean, that's, you know, in, a, you know, in, in our human nature, of course we can. But by God's grace, God can do all things, right, through Christ who strengthens us. And so God will give us a specific empowering for what we need for each situation. If God calls you to die for him, well, then he'll give you the power to do it. But if he hasn't called you to do it, well, then he'll give you power to be a husband or a wife or a, an employee who doesn't blow up at people, you know, that kind of thing. 
or, you know, or a believer who, you know, who loves difficult believers or a person who has peace in a difficult situation. Whatever it is, the Lord is gonna give you the power and the strength to do it. And it doesn't come from us working for it. It comes from us abiding in Christ and trusting the Lord to do it. So this is a great encouragement, right? We need to continue in prayer and we need to continue to trust the Lord. Finally, in verses 21 through 26, Paul knew that God who had begun a good work would complete it. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Well, you know, what an amazing set of verses. I mean, they speak for themselves. You know, the fact that, you know, this describes Paul's life. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Christ was Paul's life. And, you know, this is what he, he lived for. He was saved by Christ. Christ changed his life. And Christ was continuing to mold him into his very image. Because Christ was Paul's life, to die would actually be gain. Because Paul's whole desire was to draw closer to Jesus, which is what life in Christ is. As we walk with the Lord is to draw closer to Christ. And so to die would actually be a gain because you're finally with Christ. Now, obviously, this passage right here refutes soul sleep or any teaching like that that says that when a person dies, they you know, spend a bunch of time in the ground sleeping, and then finally, when the Lord comes back, he'll resurrect you. The Bible doesn't teach it at all. It teaches to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is a sleep. The Bible does refer to the believer's death as sleep, but that's referring to our body, not our soul. Just as when you're sleeping, your body lays motionless, right, but your mind is still active. In the same way, when you die, your spirit and soul departs from this body to be with Christ in heaven, and your body lays motionless in the ground awaiting to be awakened at the second coming or the rapture of, uh, of the church when Christ comes back and resurrects the dead and raptures living believers. And so Paul had that hope. He said, hey, I'm living for Christ now, but you know what? If I die, it's gonna be even better because I'm gonna be with Jesus. How can you hurt a person like that? You, you really can't. I mean, that person is victorious. Oh, death, where is your sting, right? It's been swallowed up. In the victory of Christ, the fact that Christ has died on the cross and rose again from the dead. To live as Christ, you know, and to, and to die as gain. Now, because Paul knew that to die would be gain, Paul was actually hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. But nevertheless, he knew to remain on in his body and to continue to serve the Lord would actually have been better for these believers. And so he left it up to the Lord to decide on, obviously, what the Lord wanted to do. And the Lord did choose to keep him around longer. Paul would be released from his Roman imprisonment, later to return to Roman and be beheaded for his faith in Jesus Christ. But the Lord wasn't done with him yet. And Paul was confident. He knew, and, and, you know, and, and he can have joy in this, the fact that God was you know, going to complete the work in his life. And so the work that God has begun in your life, he will complete it. And we know that we can have victory through it as we focus on Christ as we draw near to him, the Lord will, will work these things out. And so God wants us to walk in victory. He has given us victory. But to abide in victory, we need to keep a biblical mindset 
And the way that we do that is by following Christ as he followed, as um, Paul followed him. Amen.